All right, we'll open our Bibles tonight to Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2. Get into the day of Pentecost a little bit this evening. Um, I was going to mention, we was going to try and have a choir practice tomorrow evening around 7 or so. Uh, help spread the word there. Maybe some folks will come for choir practice. And then we was going to, I was going to mention tonight, maybe go watch the tourists next Thursday night. I don't know how many would be interested in that. Acts 2 verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there come a sound from heaven as, a, as of a rushing, mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. It set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How hear we every man in our own language wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia, and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phygra and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Serene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed. We're in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, would you help us tonight to preach your word? God, I pray that you'd put off our mind, Lord, things that the devil would have got to distract us. Lord, that we could settle into the Bible tonight. God, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you'd just help us, Lord, touch us, God. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us, Lord, to just exalt the name of our loving Savior. God, that you'd just uh, do that as only you can. And we'll thank you and praise you for all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. We'll look at a few verses here, about 13 verses, dealing, of course, with the day of Pentecost. Now, this area of the book of Acts, Starts a uh, it starts an area of a lot of confusion. There's a lot of erroneous doctrine that come out uh, of the Book of Acts, and a lot of that starts right here in Acts two on the day of Pentecost, uh, when uh, the the church in this uh, in this in this account here is being um, empowered to serve the Lord, and so. 
Uh, we'll look a little bit at the day of Pentecost and try to cover some of these areas that maybe are uh, uh, taken out of context and there's a lot of strange doctrines that come about. Uh, let's think about what it means to, uh, for the day of Pentecost. Let's talk about what that word Pentecost means. Uh, the word pent, uh, it has to do with the number five. The word cost is the, the number zero. The, so the, the word Pentecost literally means 50. Uh, it was a festival, one of seven. The Jews had seven festivals that they marked each year. Uh, I was thinking about those earlier today. There is, of course, uh, in Leviticus 23, you'll find those seven great holy days. There is the Passover, uh, which the Jews would uh, uh, mark the uh, where they put the blood on the lentils, and uh, the, the death angel passed over, and they were delivered out of Egypt. Then you had, uh, of course, you had the... Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then you had the Feast of First Fruits. So there was the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then the Feast of First Fruits. And we see in those three feasts that we see the, uh, looks like somebody's trying to get in the back door. Somebody let, let them in. That'll be good. Maybe there's 40 people out there. Well, they got in. Here they come. No, look, it's one, two, three. Very good. I'm going to keep bad mouth, poor mouth, and how we ain't got no crowd. Maybe folks will send them in <laughs> on the internet. Folks just leave their houses. Come on. But anyway, there's the, the feast of the Passover, the feast of, of unleavened bread, and then the feast of first fruits. Uh, that's over in Leviticus 23. And so that's the first th three of the feast days. And those feast days speak of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Passover, of course, speaks of His death and the shed blood. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the unleavened bread, of course, uh, speaks of uh, His life, His sinless life. And then that, uh, that, that festival of first fruit speaks of the resurrection. And so that death, burial, and resurrection is pictured there. Then there's three other feasts. And that would be the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Smack that, that they did them at different times of the year. Three at the first of the year, three at the, toward the end of the year. Right smack dab in the middle of those is Pentecost. And it happened in the spring of the year. Every year the, the Pentecost happened. And it was the only feast for which every Jew was required uh, to come back to Jerusalem. It didn't matter how far away you lived. You had to come back for the day of Pentecost. And so when the day of Pentecost had come, uh, they were commemorating uh, and uh, celebrating the day of Pentecost. And the, no, no doubt Jerusalem would have been absolutely full of Jews. And it was the will of God that it would work out this way because uh, we're going to see tonight, or we'll see next week actually when uh, Peter delivers his wonderful message, how that they, there were so many Jews there uh, to be saved. And, and it was the beginning of the church. And so uh, we see, of course, the, uh, the Pentecost. Then look what the Bible said. Uh, the Bible said there in uh, 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 verse number 2, And suddenly there come a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were at. Well, here comes the gift from the Father. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ had 
uh, told the disciples, he said, it's expedient that I go away, for if I go not, I the comforter will not come. And so here we see this promise of the Father's gift, this promise of the comforter. And the Bible said that he came in as a rushing mighty wind. That word rushing, it means violent. It was a violent wind. Now, I began to think about the Holy Ghost and how that he's so often typified as a wind. Found you think something about wind just a minute. Wind can be comforting. Have you ever sit on your front porch and feel a little breeze come across the porch? That, that's a comforting wind. And I'm telling you, wind can be one of the most discomforting things uh, that there is as well. And, uh, I mean, hurricane, storm, force winds, uh, and uh, the house is creaking, sound like it's going to blow over. I begin to think about the Holy Spirit. How that at times uh, he is a soft wind uh, that just brings such comfort to our heart and soul. Uh, but then those times that he is a rushing wind, uh, he's a violent wind. Uh, boy, and I tell you that, I believe the church needs that in these days, that rushing mighty wind. I began to think about this. Uh, wind uh, can go anywhere. Uh, I mean, uh, you let a good strong wind, this building is built, constructed good. Uh, I bet you let a good strong wind blow through here tonight. Uh, and if you'll sit right still, uh, and you can feel the wind inside this building. Because the wind knows how to get in every crack and every crevice. Uh, and make its way in. How well the Holy Spirit is the same way. How the Holy Spirit's able to get into every crack, every crevice. It's able to make its way on the. He's able to make his way on the inside. And I'm glad tonight that that's how it is with the Holy Ghost. I don't care how hard the sinner. I don't care how discouraged the saint. That wind can blow in our heart. And the Bible said that. The Holy Spirit here, he filled the house. I began to think about how that God, uh, when the Moses got the tabernacle done, uh, and that the Shahana presence of God sat down in the tabernacle, uh, and God filled the tabernacle uh, with his presence. Uh, I began to think about how that after Solomon built the temple, uh, how that when they were up there worshiping God uh, and dedicating the temple, uh, that the Bible said uh, that the Spirit of God filled the temple. Uh, well, here we we see the church is being dedicated and the church is starting out its, uh, its uh, task on earth uh, and the Holy Ghost uh, has filled the church uh, and boy we need him don't we uh, and so we see uh, that it's a rushing mighty wind. Uh, then look at verse 3. The Bible said and there appeared unto them cloven tongues, that word cloven simply means split, like as a fire and sat down on each of them. So there's two things that the Holy Spirit is likened to here tonight. And that is wind. We've already talked about that. But then there's also fire. Fire. He's likened unto fire. Boy, and I'm going to tell you something right now. The Holy Ghost of God will give you fire. Amen. And I began to think about the fire. And how that the fire can melt. Uh, and I've been reading a book this week by Warren Wearsby on worship, and I'm convinced that what the church needs is a little fire of worship again, uh, uh, to melt some icy hearts. Uh, amen. Uh, uh, but I'm going to tell you that same that same war, that same fire that brings warmth uh, 
it can melt. And boy, that's what we need. So we see there's the wind and there is the fire. There is the fire. But then notice what happens there in verse number 4. The Bible said, And there were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Right, let's talk about that just a minute. First of all, let's talk about being filled with the Holy Ghost. The word that is used here for filled means to be to be put to the top, to the, uh, the, the area of overflowing. That's to be filled with the Spirit. I want to tell you tonight, uh, we need some filling. Amen. That, that first church, the Holy Ghost came in, the spout got tipped over, and the disciples got filled up with the Holy Ghost Spirit of God. And then the Bible said that they began to speak in other tongues. Now, what I'm going to preach on right here, uh, isn't that big of a deal in right here in Yancey County? Uh, but you get outside of Yancey County, and this is a major, uh, out of this area, I'll say that, this is a major point of contention. There's a lot of denominations out there that would have you believe that a evidence of salvation is Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. And uh, so let's cover it tonight. So I'm going to tell you something right now. If the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues is an evidence of salvation, if that's true, if there's Bible for that and that's true, then I'm going to start praying to speak in tongues because I want some evidence of salvation. Amen. Uh, but I believe we'll see in the Bible that it's not. Uh, let's just believe what the Bible said. All right, first, let's talk about the day of Pentecost. That's the area uh, that all the, all the Pentecostals and the holiness, they all point back to the day of Pentecost. And uh, talk about uh, talk about the speaking in tongues when they got filled with the Holy Ghost. Let's look at it for just a minute here tonight. Uh, the Bible said that they spoke with other tongues. First, let's talk about that word tongue. That word tongue comes from the uh, the, uh, the 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 Greek word glacio, and that word glacio means a language. So they weren't speaking in an unknown language. As a matter of fact, I'll prove that in these verses. But rather were speaking with other known languages. Look what the Bible said in verse number, uh, 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 let's see here, in verse number 6. At the end of verse 6 it says, Every man heard them speak in his own language. So they weren't speaking in an unknown language, but rather were speaking a language that was... It was only unknown to them. They didn't know it. But it was heard and understood by others. And uh, so it was that it was a miracle that God used to speak to a city that was full of people that spoke in other languages. That's been said. I believe this is the truth. It's been said that the speaking of tongues still exists today, but it exists in the form of the printing press and in the form of the internet. You see, there's no need in us, me speaking in unknown tongues in this day because the gospel has been translated into every language and in every dialect. You see, that was a need of the early church that was done away with. Now let me prove it to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Look what Paul said. And Paul said there in uh, um, verse number, uh, let's look at verse number 8. The Bible said, Charity never faileth, but where there be prophecies, they shall fail. Where there be tongues, watch this, they shall cease. 
Will there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and do prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. Now what's talking about? When that which is perfect is come. That's the Word of God. You see, they, they didn't have the full counsel of the Word of God. Now let me show you another verse right here. Look at this. In 1 Corinthians 13, look at verse 11. When I spake as a child, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I fought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now that's in the same context that Paul put in speaking with tongues. He put that in the, it's in the same immediate context. So what's Paul saying? He said when the church was young, when it was an infant church, when it was a child church, it was necessary that they spoke in childish ways. And uh, that gift of tongues was part of that emphasis of the church. But now that which is perfect has come. That which was imperfect is done away with. So there's no more need to have speaking in an unknown tongue. Really it wasn't an unknown tongue. It was an unknown to them. But it was known to everybody else. Now, I've never been in a service where anybody spoke in tongues. I've seen it on YouTube a few times. And when they speak in tongues, it's unknown to everybody. Nobody know what they say. They just come out with it. And that does no good to edify because it's not spread.